power on. Because you can't get enough, and I know you can't. Because when episodes go over two hours, whoo, you are all over them, baby. Of course, you are, well, what is this exactly? It says you probably saw the title in your, uh, you know, in your podcast feed. And it said, A Taste of Q&A. Well, that's exactly what we've got here. What I am doing is for those who are, and I know, I have, you know, the thousands and thousands of listeners. I know how many of you are not patrons. And I am here to attempt, and I'm not going to be alone, but I am here to attempt to seduce you into becoming a patron. Uh, and like I said, I won't be alone. Actually, Ellen, uh, you will hear her voice in this as well. And this is a Q and a from last week. Uh, not the present Q and a that also came out today, but a Q and a from last week, uh, where we went over two hours. You probably heard me talk about it on, uh, on the recent episode of sovereign tech. Was that episode 361 or was that 362? But anyway, I talked about it there and I said, I was like, you know, like that was, that conversation was so solid. I think that needs to be out there. Now I'm probably going to release a couple more of these, but you have to understand that these Q and A's, which you can email me, bbs at sovereigntech.com. You can join the telegram group and, you know, just, just type Q and A and then put your question in there. You can get in touch with me on Twitter. I've had people DM them to me, had people just tweet them to me. There are all kinds of ways to get these questions to me and I will do this once a week, you know, at least, uh, and there's other content that comes out for, uh, for the, what's known as the Zomia one underground, but this is to tease you and it's lengthy. We are talking, I mean, you can see, you can look at your podcast app and you know how much content you're getting here. Imagine that you get this once a week, that it's at least an hour long. And you have hundreds of just these Q and A's to say nothing of all the other content that's available to the Zomia one underground. Literally, we are talking about thousands of hours of content that when you become a patron, you get access to, and you get new content every single week instead of just sovereign tech. So again, this is meant to be a tease. Okay. And why not have it be a tease with my opinion, the best, the future, that being Ellen Stallone and of course myself. So oh, I'm not calling myself the future. Uh, I would call myself the best though. That's uh, that's, that's, that's not out of, uh, out of line for me to say, or that's not crazy for me to say, but anyway, check this out. Give it a listen. I'm not, I'm going to shut up now, you know, just giving you a little couple minutes of intro of what this is about. I will be releasing more of these over time. Not too many, just to tease you here and there in case you're wondering what is behind that paywall. And again, you just go to Zomia1.com. Okay. And on the right hand side of the page, you'll see, and you can choose different levels. There's the lowest level of $2 and then it goes up to, I don't know, it goes up to crazy amounts of money. I'm sure. But you sign up at whatever level you're comfortable with, or you think that there's value for most people do much more than $2, but Hey, you want to rock it, rock it. I'm honored to have you on board. So check it out. If you love it again, feel free to become a member of the Zomi one underground. If you don't, well, you got some extra content here to check out and I hope that you enjoy it. So I'll, I'll just, I'm going to let this ride out like all Q and A's do. I will not be back, uh, but we'll, we'll get right into it and then away we go. So I will see all of you on the next episode of sovereign tech and I'll see you on the other side. Woo! So, uh, <laughs> 
that's that's our android. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I guess we could start off with uh, w- with this. Um, there was a we got a, a great conversation a couple weeks ago about the possibility that. And, and we have, actually, we have a question about recycling we're going to get, again, get into after this, which is kind of a part two of a question that I dealt with last week. Um, there, an emailer, a listener, wondered, you know, had this theory that basically is marijuana the biblical manna, like out of the book of Exodus that the Israelites were consuming. Wait, so we have to clarify, marijuana or hemp? Well, because they are different. Right. Okay. So this is important. Now, I, I responded to the question, and then the listener sent another email with the article that they had read that kind of got them thinking down that, that road. Um, the last sentence on this question, uh, I don't know if it's he, or I can't say for certain it's a he, but anyway, the last sentence on the question was that marijuana is the biblical manna. But, but there is a distinction. I mean, they're, they're both cannabis right but then they're so you shared this article with me yes and it was all about hemp and hemp seeds right so i'm going to assume that's what they mean when they reference marijuana Mm -hmm. but hemp is not marijuana i think a lot yes okay so and i'm not saying they did this you know but a lot of people i feel like do this where, I mean, and, and so both you and I, Vic, Sovereign Tech Sponsor, full disclosure, both you and I were hosts on Free Talk Live. Right. And we'd have a lot of people call in talking about, uh, you know, how, you know, marijuana is the miracle plant and it can clothe you and it can do all this stuff and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But they were generally talking about, or some, half of what they were talking about was actually hemp. Right. Not marijuana. Right. Yeah, hemp is very useful for all sorts of things. Right. And, I mean, marijuana ha- has health benefits for different reasons. Yeah. Not necessarily I, for eating it but, or wearing it. Sure, but I, I think that, um, I think a lot of people do, do get confused. I'm not saying the emailer was. I'm just saying that I think a lot of people do get confused that those are two, I don't know if I, don't know if I should say very different, but they are different things. Yeah. Again, they're both... What would that be? The the the, they're, the they're species both the, or the genus? They're both cannabis. Yeah, right? they're both in the, they're both in the uh, cannabis family. Right. But they're different species. Yes, they're different. There you go. Yes. Okay. Sure. So continue. If, oh, um, well, I don't know. Did you want to reread this or? Um, well, we don't have to reread the question, but I, you know, you listen to. I mean, you listen to the Q and A that I did where I responded to it. And yeah, you talked a lot about uh, your favorite theory about what oh mana the mana machine possibly right. was. Yes, yeah, and that it was like basically some algae-based food that came out of some advanced technology, not from God. Um, so, but the idea—I mean, when when you heard the question, I mean, what what did you think? I mean, I, I brought up the point that look, we're never going to know. Or not that we're never going to know, but we're likely to never really know what manna was, you know, that the that the Israelites had. But I mean, do you think it's possible that it's that it's hemp? What what are what's the science behind why it couldn't be? <laughs> well, that's a leading question. Well, oh, all right. Well, um, so I so I read this article that the listener sent in, and there's mm-hmm. actually two parts to it. The first part is about um, the protein composition of hemp and then the second part is about the fat composition of hemp okay and this whoever wrote this 
the the woman that wrote this article, she's must have been like a biochemist or something because there's a lot of hard science in there. And I'm reading this learning a lot actually, and I'm sure. nodding my head like, yeah, this this is real. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like there's a lot of really good arguments as to why hemp seeds uh that's what the article was written about. Hemp seeds are like a uh, they are essentially what people would call a superfood. They're like a whole perfect food with lots of good nutrition and mm-hmm. um, definitely something that uh, there's good reason to supplement your diet with lots of hemp seed. And it was comparing it to other seeds too, like flax seed, which um, is also considered a superfood and is a lot more popular. Um, it has slightly different compositions of like fat and protein. Uh, but anyway... Hemp seed's really healthy. This article definitely proved that. I have no dispute with that at all. Um, the, the only issue I see with, like, the reason why hemp couldn't be mana is because um, the places on the planet, like, the ecosystems that hemp is grown in are generally places like Central Asia or mm-hmm. uh, the Mediterranean. Uh, hemp can grow in pretty much any climate except for deserts. Okay. Because it needs at least two and a half inches of rainfall per month. Aha. Uh-huh. So it, if the Israelites were wandering around the desert, mm-hmm. where were they getting these hemp seeds? Because the hemp wasn't growing around them. Yeah. So, so that's the couldn't, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it would be a wonderful food source for mm-hmm. anyone, you know, especially if you're stranded out in the desert. Right. Um, but, you know, you have to have a source for that. Yeah, well, okay, so a couple points on that. One is that with the other thing we know about mana is that it, it like, it wouldn't just stay there. It would uh, uh, go bad, as it were. Okay, so... If it goes, I mean, like there, there is an implication that it wasn't growing there, okay, and that that it couldn't survive well in the desert. That's why you know it just appeared every morning, but then it would disappear the next day, except for on Friday when the Israelites could collect a double portion, right? Because they're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So that that gives a that kind of gives a touch of credence to okay, maybe it could be hemp. You yeah. know, because even though hemp can't survive in that environment, neither could manna. You right. see what I'm saying? So, like, if if there were, like, hemp cakes being made and mm-hmm. then they were appearing in the desert, um, yeah, you would have to eat those because they would spoil pretty quickly in the sun. Right, which is basically what happened, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the manna that was there, or as it's described. I mean, the other part to this, though, is like, okay, well, where is this coming from? I mean, well, if you take the if you take Torah at face value, it's coming from God, so it can just show up, you know, <laughs> and, right. it, and it can just it can just be there in the morning, like the you know the morning dew. What the hell? Uh, so, I mean, of course, once you throw in a a a, a supernatural force like a god, um, then in in many ways all bets are off, right? Then it's like, okay, well, fuck, it could be anything. Right. You know, um, but if we're trying to come up with, I mean, like, I I guess I could be open to some, like, maybe the mana machine was somehow cultivating uh, hemp cakes of some kind, or, you know, it was, that's what it would spew out, and that that was enough nutrition. I mean, I think the, like, the algae-based food, which we are, you know, presently researching for use for astronauts, for people in space, 
that still fits that bill as well. But I wonder if both could. I mean, you know, I, I, because this advanced technology, like the Mana Machine, which is based out of a book, um, which, by the way, at, at, at well, there's a website I found that has, like, a lot of my books that I've posted, including the Mana Machine, which is a very expensive and rare book to get your hands on. I'm glad it's out there. So everybody can download it, and it's on the Internet for all time, which is really Hooray. wonderful. Yeah. So... I mean, but the advanced technology is equitable to God, the concept of God, in that, well, it could kind of produce anything, you know, if we're going to accept, accept that. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I wonder if hemp would even make more sense than some kind of, like, algae-based cake, because the algae might have been able to survive the desert fine. As to where hemp, it, it's a point in hemp's favor that it can't survive in the desert and according to the book of Exodus, it didn't. You know, I mean, that that's that's an interesting aspect of that. Um, I mean, you have any other thoughts on, on, on this part of it? I mean, I, I read the article as well as brilliant, you know, that that, that the listener shared. Um, those, it, hemp is absolutely amazing. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, hemp would probably, in, in some ways, hemp would fit... Uh, human nutritional needs more mm-hmm. as a whole food than than algae would. I mean, like, so spirulina, for example, yeah. a very common uh, algae health food. Um, like, I take it every morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has basically every amino acid, not just the essential ones, all of them. Right. Um, so, I mean, like, it's a really great source of protein because of that. But human bodies aren't just composed out of protein. Like one, uh, yeah, one point in favor of hemp, I guess, is that it does contain, you know, levels of, of fats that humans need to survive, whereas algae doesn't. It essentially has none. Ah, okay. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Hemp would seem to, like, fit the needs of people, but, you know, it, was it just manna that these people were eating? Were they... Did they have other foods available to them? Or... Mm-hmm. See, I don't know. Like, there's so many questions around this, but hemp would seem to fit. It's an interesting theory. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not avocados, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> a those would have lasted longer than a day, and b I think they would have talked about that giant seed in the middle. Uh, to say nothing of the challenges of the of avocados growing in that area, but or well, anyway, again. We're never going to know, you know, I mean, and was that story even true? You know, that, that's, that's a whole other, I mean, that, that's a whole other ball game, you know, to, to even get into and not an unfair one. I mean, I, I, well, I'm curious to hear from, I mean, and, and, and I imagine your opinions are much colored by conversations that you and I have, because this is, this is my pastime, you know, talking about a lot of these things. And getting into these things. Yeah, I mean, no kidding. Yeah, well, let me... <laughs> but uh, but let me ask you, I mean, what what do you think about, you know, the Old Testament? What do you think about... I mean, do you think these stories have uh, validity? Do you think that... Are you in the camp of, well, parts of them are real? Are they mistranslated? I mean, where, where do you sit on this? Well, I mean, for the longest time, I thought that everything in the Bible was completely made up. Mm-hmm. I was like the opposite of, of fundamentalist Christians. The whole thing's horseshit. <laughs> yeah, well, mm-hmm. I just didn't have any way to explain, you know, like, how is this manna just appearing? Right, um, right. You know, I, I just f- 
figured it was the easiest thing, the most logical thing to believe was that it was just a fake story. Yeah. It was a sort of allegory of some kind, you know? Like, right. this is just a way to pass on lessons to future generations. Sure. Um, but over time, you know, you and I have consumed certain media together and had conversations and... Um, I guess, like, there there are some theories that help explain things more to me in a way that would make sense. Uh, I still think it's, like, incredibly outlandish to think that they had some sort of man and machine. Wow. Outlandish. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty crazy theory. Yes, it is. <laughs> and it's one that we can't prove. Right. Although, it would be, like, scientifically viable. Yeah, you know, I, I I have no dispute with that. It, it's just, how do you prove it? Yeah, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Exactly. Where, yeah, where I would argue, I mean, depending upon how far one one wants to go with this, I mean, like the notion of a god is, you know, God as in something existing outside of space and time is sort of out of the realm of possibility because it's not even in the universe, but. Yeah, and, like, the ancient alien theory is, you know, it could be believable in some sense of the word, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so you said you're not that these, that the whole Bible's bullshit, but... Uh, so, the whole Bible's not... I, I don't believe that all of it's fake. Some of it might be allegory, some of it might be metaphor, some of it might be stories about things that um people just didn't have words for Mm -hmm. or like you know meaning was lost in translation over the years so we don't know what it actually means anymore or you know maybe there is that ancient technology that existed Mm -hmm. but we don't know anything about it but i mean do you think some of it might be legit history like actual history that happened i'm sure i'm sure there's plenty of documentation for some of these stories yeah right and you know i a lot of it might possibly be real. I just... See, I don't know. I, sure. I like having lots of reference material. <laughs> and for, yeah. the, for biblical stories, there's not a whole lot. Yeah. But, again, that doesn't mean that it's all crap. <laughs> that just means that it makes it harder for me to understand and believe some of these things. All right, let me ask you this. Do you think Jesus walked the earth? Do you think he existed? I don't mean Jesus, son of God. I mean, like, but a guy named Jesus who did maybe some of that stuff. I think there are plenty of people throughout history with the name Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. In some parts of the world called Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But as far as, like, the character Jesus, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there was a person named Jesus who existed at the time that he was said to have existed. Um, But... I've kind of been convinced that, you know, a lot of the stories about him were exaggerated or made up or overlaid with other uh, historical figures or even, like, gods of different belief systems. Mm -hmm. So, you know. That's where you're at. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, what do you believe about Jesus? Uh, I'm open to that there was a person that, that would get equated to Jesus Christ, you know, and that, that he was uh, the, the real, you know, or that, that he was a, I mean, I don't get into that whole, like, St. Issa stuff, or or, or not St. Issa, uh, yeah, not, well, St. Issa, but 
I th- I think I also do think there was a guy like that 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 these stories and that a lot of this stuff is attributed to. I think that it has been mixed in with a lot of bullshit or a lot of stories that were for other religious figures and kind of put together. Um, I've always been really intrigued by the idea that Jesus actually uh, did not die on the cross but went back and I keyword there back went back to Japan but yeah <laughs> I know right I know uh, and this is actually a book I have like four chapters of this written I've been writing a book uh, called the Japanese Jesus for a, for years um, I think I might have mentioned it some time ago but uh, but it, it's a real it's actually a very fascinating story but that is a story for another time. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's way too much to explain right now. I yeah, there, there's a there's a lot there. But he had a brother in Japan, had children, and actually in Japan they they have no problem accepting this. They, they, they in fact you can even go to the town where he was supposedly buried. Uh, so very wild story. Uh, so I'm open to it. You know, I, I I mean, how much can we say for certain on anything that far in the past? But uh, but but I'm open to it. So, but we can move on from there. Uh, we're not going to get into anything like, oh, was actually John the Baptist really the Messiah? But uh, he got off too early. I mean, I don't think you'd know anything about that, Ellen, would you? <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing about Mithraic cults either. Oh, oh, no, no, not at all. It's not like I would have like bought you a bunch of books to, uh, to <laughs> give you some learning on the situation. No. <laughs> uh, but anyway, well. We can move on from that. So let's get into, this was the second part. This is from Jim Jesus of the Lulberts podcast, longtime listener, good guy. Uh, And I I got into his first, the first half of his question, which had to do with, well, I rip on Hollywood pretty hard and the entertainment industry in general pretty hard and have been for a while now on Sovereign Tech. Um, But then he got to a second part where he gets into uh, recycling. And I, I thought this was very interesting, very, I think he brings up some, what could be called controversial points. Uh, he is disagreeing with me, even though I don't know how much we're really disagreeing. Um, but I like that, you know, when, when, when some, I mean, cause he's, we certainly disagreed on the state of Hollywood in, in some ways. I know he and I do, and we certainly have different tastes, but with the recycling thing, well, let me, let me read the second half of the question here. Um, so here we go from Jim Jesus. Uh, and I've been playing catch-up, this is starting it off, and I've been playing catch-up because things got really hectic, as they do, around the holidays. But did I, I he's meaning he playing catch-up listening to episodes. But did I really hear you say that we should recycle everything? My dude, aside from aluminum, some electronics, and debatably iron and steel, recycling is one of the most destructive things you can do to an ecosystem. So I want to stop there for a second, okay? And I just want to say... I can imagine, because I'm not sure where exactly I would have said that. I can imagine I would have said, hey, recycle everything, you know. I'm aware there are some things we really can't do that with, you know, like where that's that's not possible. So this is similar to, and I talked about this last week on the Q&A, where when I'm saying that the entertainment industry is fucked, I'm often talking about genre films, your big budget genre films. Not so much because he brought up, well, but we've had like the best horror movies almost ever in 2019. And I agreed with him on that. But like, that's just horror movies are a blind spot for me. So I don't think about them. Um, So this is where I could probably have some more precision in my language. 
but again, I do recognize there are some things you don't really recycle. And in fact, we're probably going to talk about that. Um, oh, yeah, know, we'll yeah, talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so so recycling everything, uh, I, I get that that's not necessarily possible with the present technology that we have. And we may never have the technology that like protein resequencers and all this other stuff that you hear about in science fiction that could be, you know, could make all that very interesting or plausible. But regardless, uh, let's keep reading. So he's saying that, I'll read it again, uh, recycling is one of the most destructive things you can do to an ecosystem. Uh, Ellen's already shaking her head. What? I've got red flags going off already. <laughs> I, okay. I just, I need to know what he means because I, it, just at face value, don't agree with that. Okay. All right. Well, let's keep going. Uh, to recycle a paper plate. They not only need to go through the steps of normal paper recycling, which uses lots of fresh water and toxic chemicals to clean the uh, to clean bleach the paper, a good chunk is lost in the wash. But you would also need to make sure none of the food is left in the mix that could host all kinds of nasty bacteria. That's not even getting into all of the transportation it needs to do uh, to get to these various facilities to process it. Contrast that with very minimal processing it takes getting raw pulp that is collected from tree farms, which encourages firms uh, to grow more plants and foster wildlife habitation. Do, do you have something you want to say on that? He gets into plastics next. Do you want me to keep reading? Yeah. Um, I just, there's so many things I want to say about this. I mean, I don't know where he's getting his facts from, but um, I've been reading about this and, um, you know, like even statistics from the EPA say that, like, you know, recycling paper is, uh, well, first of all, like a dirty paper plate. Yeah, that's something that you don't want to recycle. Like, mm -hmm. you don't want to recycle things with food waste on it, like greasy pizza boxes. Uh, right. Those aren't really recyclable because right. of what he's saying. Those things should be put into the compost. Ah, oh, there's a secret sauce. Okay. Yeah, I mean, paper is totally compostable. Anything with food waste, I mean, that should just be going to the compost. Or, I mean, you could throw it in the trash, but then that'd be contributing to a lot of, like, methane gas production in landfills. Well... So, but, but, uh, yeah, I'm not going to stray too far away from the point. Um, so the EPA has statistics that say basically, like, uh, recycling paper saves thousands of trees from being produced and it saves tons of water because tree processing facilities also use tons of fresh water mm -hmm. and they're also you know they're burning material while they're doing this mm -hmm. um, and whatever trees that they're planting to replace the ones that they're chopping down generally that's just like in a in a sort of like farmland that's specified for those, you know, those trees to be grown for paper usage. Um, but those facilities, they are very pollutive, much more pollutive than recycling paper, according to the EPA. Mm -hmm. uh, the only downside to uh, like paper recycling facilities is that they do use electricity, which um, like virgin paper mills don't use as much of. Sure. Uh, so I'm not sure how that contributes to, um, you know, global warming as far as like, you know, the electricity production that's being used at those facilities. But like paper mills that that are used to produce paper from trees are like some of the most pollutive industries in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm somewhat aware of the tree farms that he's bringing up, uh, and I don't think that it's a bad idea. 
Um, well, it's never a bad idea to plant a tree. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. right. But to incentivize, yeah, I mean, it's it is there. It is creating a. I mean, it's of course what is perfect, but it is creating a monetary incentive to basically create ecosystems, and that which I, were destroyed by the tree uh, chopping down. Right, right. And I mean, is this enough to heal all of that? I, I mean, I don't know if we ever can. But uh, but I, I'm, I, what he's bringing up is not outlandish, not a terrible idea. Um, but I, I hear you. And, and I know you have an overall point, because we kind of talked about this. We, we talked about this before recording. I know you're going to have an overall point to bring up um, about there are modern systems that are doing great, but then there's legacy systems that are still running and far more prevalent that, uh, well, well, we'll get into that. So let's finish reading the, the, the rest here and then we'll, we'll kind of deep dive. Okay. So he gets into plastics now. Uh, plastics is the same as paper, except, uh, the oil byproducts would just be discarded if we didn't use it for fresh plastics. Landfills aren't that huge. There's lots of places to dump it that isn't ecologically disastrous. When they fill up, uh, they turn them into golf courses so trash can play trash on trash. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I never understood golf. Anyway, uh, they, well, no, okay. No, I kind of understood it, but it had nothing to do with golf. Um, they also create a lot, of, a lot of off gases when they break down, which they use as an energy source. A thousand acres is all the U.S. needs for landfills for the next 100 years. And considering the U.S. is almost two and a half billion acres, that will buy us more than enough time to work out a better way to recycle by then. Uh, Hail Satan and rest in peace, Neil Peart and J. Neil Shulman. So that's that. And that's the, the end of the email there. So wh what do you got? Do you want to comment on the plastics part? Do you want to comment on the landfill part? Yeah, all of it. Okay, go for it. <laughs> um, so, I mean, paper is a good that is, you can recycle it. Uh, there's such a thing as, like, seventh generation recycled paper, and that means yep. that, like, the paper has been recycled that many times. Mm -hmm. And every time you recycle paper, um, you are basically, like, breaking down the fibers more and more, which is why, like, there's still an industry desire for like virgin paper because yeah. those those are the longest sturdiest paper fibers yeah um so after you recycle paper so many times you have to reintroduce these really long sturdy fibers um so paper is something that's definitely sustainable and is able to be recycled as long as it doesn't have food waste again which that you know should be composted um but plastic on the other hand that's something that is like really controversial and i know we talked about this on a show that i was on a few weeks ago um but there's only a few types of plastics that are really recyclable like some of them that have the recycling uh the little triangle on the bottom with the number in it yeah yep. those you know everything that you recycle is going to your local facility and sometimes like those facilities are owned run and operated very differently from site to site mm -hmm. so some of them can handle a wider variety of plastics than others yeah um i mean the vast majority of them can recycle things like uh you know water bottles or like milk jugs those are things that are definitely easily recyclable and are worth something but there are other types of plastics where you know yeah it varies 
Um, like, not every facility can recycle styrofoam, for example. Right. Um, but there's some, or like those clamshell containers that you get like berries in. Yeah. Um, but there are some plastics that are just trash, <laughs> you know, like, like the thin film plastic that goes over, uh, like the stuff you get from the deli or even like the plastic bags that you carry your groceries home in. Mm-hmm. Um, those just get like caught in the machinery and can break things down or just get in the way. Mm-hmm. So, um, a lot of things that we do recycle are either going to landfills or being incinerated. Sure. I mean, it's not everything. There's still a sizable portion that is recycled, but uh, a lot of that is just going to the trash, um, which, I mean, that's sad, but that doesn't mean, like, don't recycle anything, you know? Yeah. So, and I, I know you have comments on the landfill part of this, yes. too. I want to touch on the plastic a little bit. Um, I'm trying to think how much I can say on this. Because uh, I do respect when companies, like, give me an NDA. Like, I, I, I do, I give a damn, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but. You can I, just be vague. Yeah. Well, let, let me let me put it this way. Um, I do, because this is just, this is very broad. I do think that we have, you know, all right, here's an example. A lot of people talk about, like, with food, how we are disconnected from our food and that the food that we eat, if we were more connected, if we had a better understanding of what it took uh, to have that package of Purdue chicken that we buy, you know, and then someone, or not you and I, but I mean, we're, you know, we're vegetarian, but, um, but that somebody would buy and that they would cook, uh, they might think twice about eating that Purdue chicken. Not because of the way necessarily the animals are treated, though that's a thing, but to see all the chemicals, to see all the shit that, you know, that, 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 that it takes for it to, to, to be a thing. Even the feed that those chickens are eating. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of people talk about that. Doctors, all kinds of people who are genuinely concerned, even people who are as anti-establishment, anti-government and everything that you could imagine, who are genuinely concerned about you don't understand what's going on with your food. And if you had a better understanding, you'd never touch half the stuff in the grocery store. And I think they have a point that can be made. Okay. Yeah. We are disconnected from our food, you know, and, and that is directly impacting our health. I also think we are wildly disconnected from a lot, uh, not just food, but the products in general. Now, we can't know everything. I mean, I'm reminded of Leonard Reed's book, I Pencil, you know, which is a book explaining you know, the miracles of capitalism and, and like how all of these different elements come together to create the pencil you're holding in your hand. And no single person could ever have all of the knowledge to build one pencil. Right. But I think we are terribly disconnected from the idea that, say, the plastic spoon that you are given, I don't know, or that you that you just pick up and you see in a bin when you go to a cafeteria of some kind or a restaurant or whatever, you know, it we have this notion in our mind that oh that's free like hell i'll take four of them you know i mean yeah. i've even done this over time you know uh, like uh, in the past i'd go to walmart you know and um uh buy some of their like potato salad or something and they have the little little thing of, of sporks or whatever there i'm like well fuck i'll grab three of these you know and that way i can have two for whenever i need them and i mean at, at the very least i, I like to think i i 
I take things to their limit, so I'm not so wasteful about it. But even for me, in my mind, that that uh, spork, that plastic spork, I am thinking of it as free. That's why I'm taking three of them, you know, because, I mean, I'm not going to get charged for it. They don't care, you know, but then also I don't care. There's not a damn thing about that spork that's free. There's nothing, I mean, there is no concept of, and it's not even crossing my mind, of what it takes for that spork to be a thing in my hand. And to say nothing of whether it's beneficial or wildly destructive. To say health, I mean, you know, I'm not even going to get into microplastics, nanoplastics, and all that stuff, and I know that the jury's out on a lot of that as far as how it affects a human being. Not so much so for other animals that happen to be swimming in that shit, but regardless, okay, I, I get it, and that way no one emails and say, well, actually, we don't know if, uh, if microplastics and nanoplastics hurt human beings. Okay, we don't know, but then that's because we, we can't just get people, we're not Nazis, and we don't just feed people plastic and, and find out a month later, okay, did that kill you? You know, <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're not doing that, all right, and that's, that's not how we operate, and I'm glad. No, but we there are plenty of dead fish and sea creatures sure. that wash up on shores that are dying because they're consuming these plastics, or even the plastics are crossing the blood-brain barrier. Sure, and I mean, I, again, this is something that people don't understand. Like, this plastic waste that goes out there, we are talking that it covers the Earth's oceans, 40% of the surface of the Earth's oceans. The surface. I, I want to be clear on that. I know that the Earth's oceans are deep. Okay, and we're not filling them all with plastic, thanks Satan. But 40% of the surface alone, which a lot of creatures hang out on that surface, is covered with, with, uh, with plastic waste. Christ. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a fact, okay? Um, and, and, and a point we're not bringing up here is the expense of, and, and this is what we talked about in that episode of Sovereign Tech that you were on, where basically now it's too expensive for most municipalities to even engage in recycling. You know, because uh, so they don't do it anymore. They don't bother to to try and recycle the plastic, even if they could, even if it were practical. Uh, but it becomes impractical because of the cost. Collecting up ocean plastic, there's companies out there that are doing it, but it's fucking expensive. You know, to to to, to you know to collect all that. I mean, like you look at the fuck. You know, when the, when the shit was going down with Haiti a few years ago, um, or this is also happening in Indonesia. Uh, in fact, Indonesia, as I understand, is the number two country. Uh, China is number one, but Indonesia is is the number two geographic area, I should say, um, that that produces that all of that plastic waste that we're talking about. Okay. Oh God, yeah, they have huge landfills. Oh, it's it's insane. But then you look at some of the areas there. I mean, and and, and, and these places that were just gorgeous. Sir. I mean, like, but like with, with Haiti, as again, as well as Indonesia, but particularly Haiti. I mean, you're watching like rivers of plastic, like, you know, flowing it. Oh, it's insane. But regardless, okay, I'm getting off track. I want to get back on track. None of this stuff is really free. There are a lot of costs, unseen, hidden costs, ecological, health, uh, and, and, and so on, that we don't consider. We never even think about it. We just think of it as free when nothing is. You know, anything that gets produced, uh, there, there is some kind of cost and we just have no concept. Of, of what that looks like. And I think if we did have even a, even just a small amount, we would be far more judicious with our use. We, we would be far more careful with our use of a lot of this stuff. 
And I really think that's a big part of, of, of the issue here with recycling. Should we recycle everything? Can we recycle everything? Are there recycling concerns that affect the, you know, the biome uh, or, you know, the ecosystem, you know, and, and, and so on? Uh, yep, I, I, I can imagine that. I can imagine that. And, but it's just like everything else. The re, you know, part of the real solution here, we need to talk about the landfills, but part of the real solution here is reconsidering our relationship with with this frankly with plastic and with a lot of these products and yeah because that is a really good point not all of this can be recycled the rest of it's just incinerated or thrown into a landfill so the best thing to do is just to not buy this crap right 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 um but you know i mean when you keep going down that road I mean, this is all coming down to, to, to being conscientious, being like, a, what do they call it, a, 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 an informed consumer or a conscious consumer, whatever. Um, I mean, this, this gets into the whole thing. Boy, we could talk about Tesla. We were talking about Tesla all day today. Not Nikola Tesla, the, the, the fucking car company. Oh, yeah. We, because when I started looking into recycling, I was like, well, what about these Tesla batteries? You know, what happens to those? Yeah, and I was like, I, I have no idea, you know, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if they just put them in a warehouse for right now, uh, because, um, I mean, part of the reason Tesla functions on any level is because it is so small scale, it, because it's not Ford. If it were the size of Ford, the power grid would be down. I mean, we, we'd be so fucked as civilization would be completely fucked if everybody owned a Tesla. We'd be screwed. And to say nothing, I mean, and even producing those batteries, and I've brought this point up many times in the show, those batteries are a fucking ecological disaster on their own. The, oh, yeah. the electric car is a complete fail. It, it, is, it is a horrible, horrible, and I'm not saying gas cars are any better, or, or, or I mean, they are in some ways, but I'm just saying, like, like certainly the electric car is, is not an ecological solution. And, and this is a point I want to make abundantly clear, is that a lot of the solutions that governments and companies and whatever, like the Green New Deal and a bunch of other horseshit that people come up with, are I do not believe for a second that those are genuine solutions to ecological concerns. They're not. So if somebody thinks that I'm suggesting any of that, no, no, I'm not. I, I agree they are all either half steps, half measures, or outright lies. None of them actually solve the problem because the real solution again is that changing of a mindset and understanding of boy what does it take to have this plastic spoon in my hand and you would see the world very differently i think if you looked into it just a little bit i mean actually when you were researching earlier today ellen i was like so uh you, you know we have we have a, a kind of almost a joking phrase between each other where if there's like a little bit of a silence we'll just kind of look at one of us will look at the other and go so what do you got yeah <laughs> <laughs> And I just remember turning to you earlier. I'm like, what do you got? Like, what's going on? What, what are you up to? And she just, it, it, and you just, you put your, you know, your hands on the side of your head and just went, <laughs> you know, like your, your mind was exploding. Oh, yeah. And a serious brain expansion. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is awesome. And that's why I love these kinds of questions. Um, yeah. But after I finished telling you about it, you're like, wow, that's fucking depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway. So why, why don't let, let's talk about the landfill. Okay. So, so Jim brings up the point that basically, um, and, and I'll make my quick point on this and then you just run with it. Uh, you know that, well, we only need, uh, there's, there's two and a half billion acres of land in the U S the U S for the next hundred years only needs a thousand acres, um, of landfill. And so that should be easy. 
Okay, that, that like that's oh. that that that's that's the idea that and and then there's the idea of the the uh, the gases um, being turned into an energy source and all this. Uh, but his point of this is the only thing I want to for me that I want to say on it uh, that will buy us enough. So for the next hundred years we're good. That will buy us more than enough time to work out a better way to recycle by then. See, that's the part that I I don't have that kind of faith. That you know this is and, and I appreciate what he's saying and I get it. But like any time the statement comes across, well, the market will figure it out. You know, necessity is the mother of invention, and you know all these things. Um. I I am not prepared to just, you know, accept that or like just to I'm not prepared to just hope. And I am also not prepared to just say, well, the next generation will figure it out. Not that I feel any uh, any what's, what's the word I'm looking for. I don't feel any duty to the next generation of human beings. None. But I also, you know, being in, being intellectually honest, cannot say, well, someone will figure it out. Yeah, I mean, you're a caring, empathetic human being. I am. You can see the consequences of your actions, and mm -hmm. I imagine that you don't want to make things more difficult for other people around you. Oh, no. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't. I really don't. And Which is the empathetic, caring thing to do, you right. know? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I, I can't just take that on, on some kind of faith, that it'll get figured out. Do things get figured out? Do we come up with solutions over 100 years for very real problems? Yes. That does happen, but there are plenty where it does not. And again, uh, you know, changes in in cultural mindset take far longer than that often enough. And I I am very concerned, you know, that that I, or I I don't have I, I'm I'm not comfortable with just saying, well, in a hundred years we'll figure it out. You know, that, that and that's my point. So you landfills, what do you got? Yeah, I well, I'm with you on that. I mean, I don't want to just rely on a future solution. I mean, this is a problem right now. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, people have been using landfills since the 30s, essentially. Okay. Before then, pretty much all garbage was, uh, you know, burned in people's houses or they were using it for compost or something like that. Because there wasn't that much of it. Right, exactly. And, and, and I mean, a big point to bring up here is shit was built to last back then. And yeah. I know people hate it when somebody says that, but look, it's a fucking fact. Like, stuff was, you didn't have plastic spoons. You had metal spoons that, hell, I, I know I have a, I, literally, I have a dish, my family uh, in New York has a dishware set that's like 300 years old. Wow. Oh, it's it's nuts. I mean, it's got, you know, little wild uh, menorahs on it and everything. But, I mean, they've had it forever because shit used to get made to last. Anyway, continue. Yeah. And, like, plastic production wasn't really a thing until the 50s. Right. Um, and it wasn't until the 70s that the U.S. started delineating between hazardous and non-hazardous waste. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the 90s that we said, like, hey, we should probably think about doing something about this hazardous waste. Yeah. Recycle, um, reduce, reuse, and close the loop, right? That's the song. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I heard it all the time in the 90s. So anyway, I say all this to say, um, you know, landfills have been, uh, trash has been an issue for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't just something that we're starting with right now. Uh, so a lot of landfills are pre-existing ones. Yeah. Uh, and to say that the United States has plenty of acreage and that we only need a thousand square acres or whatever, uh, that should be easy to find. But the land <laughs> that landfills 
uh, are built on, or in, I should say, they have to be very carefully chosen, uh, even by modern standards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you have to find a place that's not environmentally sensitive. So, like, a place where the water can't leach out and um, poison the water supply for, you know, like a town that's drinking the, the well water or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't poison the land for the surrounding animals. Uh, you know, it's it's got to be, like, very safe, special land that's stable. Like, it's not going to... There's no sinkhole that's going to open up. There's no flooding that's going to happen. Um, so, like, that presents an issue. Also, to say that the U.S. only needs 1,000 acres? Like, the U.S. isn't even handling all of its trash. Like, it was selling it to China until yeah. a couple years ago. Yeah. And now China won't take it. So, so, like, we're still shipping it to other areas of the world. It's like, it's not staying here, you know? We're just sending it to other places where we don't see it. But in those places, like in Africa and Indonesia and South America, the trash is just piling up. And sure, they have some facilities to recycle the plastic that's sent there, mm-hmm. or at least some of the plastics. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, there are definitely people uh, who are recognized as trash pickers. Like, that's a real job yep. title that they have. Yep. Um, they make a living off of picking through the trash and finding textiles and plastics and metals and electronics and selling those to recycling facilities. But, and like, these conditions are terrible. Like, I wouldn't want to live on a trash heap, but, uh, you know, at least they're doing something with this trash. But the rest of it is just being piled up and we don't know, like, they don't know what to do with it. They're just finding new places to put this trash. Yeah, I mean, one of the potential solutions here that, like, and, and and I didn't expect Jim to bring any up necessarily, you know, but like, uh, so there is an organization called Plastic Bank and they are basically, they're doing exactly that where they are paying people in developing countries and really all over the world. In fact, they've more or less created their own cryptocurrency. They're, they're literally using blockchain. I, I get skittish when a company does that sort of thing. I wish they just attached to Bitcoin, but whatever. But yeah, plastic bank is you know you bring you bring the plastic to one of their you know uh, facilities, and uh, they pay you you know that in that in that cryptocurrency. Uh, that's that's an interesting idea. I'm not saying it's going to work, but I mean it's it's a very very interesting idea. So yeah, so your point is is that that, that is I mean that people are already doing that, and right. they're being paid in their local currency, yes. whatever that yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, and that is only dealing with a small percentage of the trash. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't recycle everything. Mm-hmm. You just can't. Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's a huge problem. It's piling up all around the world. And, like, the U.S. might be handling a lot of its own trash, but certainly not all of it. Um, and there are, there are places like New York City that has this zero-waste initiative, which is incredibly ambitious, mm-hmm. but there's no fucking way that it's going to achieve it in like 10 years yeah so microsoft bringing a little tech angle on this microsoft i believe recently just came out and said that they would be a uh like carbon negative okay uh company by like 2030 meaning that they would actually be somehow like it's not just like carbon neutral or carbon zero like that they would be kind of repaying solving a lot of their you know the environmental impact that they had as a company. Um, 
I mean, a, a big part, again, of a lot of these initiatives with these companies, like when, you know, environmentalism, going green and all that, this is similar, in my opinion, to when the U.S. government banned lead, lead paint. Uh, you know, Kenner and like, because this, this affected toy companies pretty hard. Okay. And I've brought this example up before. The, you know, the, the big toy companies, because you have to convert everything to no longer use lead paint. You, you have to basically almost create entirely new facilities or at the very least bring in new machines. You know, your, your, your Kenners, your Hasbros, your whoever, Mattel, they can handle that cost. They can eat that cost. What it did was, and the reason why those companies were so supportive of doing it, is it eliminated all of their competition that couldn't afford it. And so, I mean, I'll admit that that some of these like uh, regulations that come around this probably are set up to. I mean, great, Microsoft and Amazon and whoever else, or New York City or whatever, can you know become such and such in ten years, you know, and like have zero waste or something like this. But the average little company, the upstart, can't do that. And and I wouldn't be surprised if 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 these companies. Uh, with the, the city of New York, I wonder about that. I'd have to think about that more. But I think a lot of times they are doing this to literally wipe out their competition because they can't afford to operate at that level uh, or to convert. You know, I, I think that's a very real thing. I'm not saying it's happening all the time, but I definitely think that that's that that's that's part of that. I don't know. I think these initiatives are purposely misleading. Like sure. So New York, for example, produces like 33 million tons of trash per year. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is sent to Pennsylvania to be incinerated. Right. So the zero waste initiative is to get New York to handle all of its trash internally. That doesn't mean that it's not producing waste. That just means it's not shipping it outside of New York. Ah, ha, ha. Yeah. yeah. So it's incinerating all of its trash there or it's dealing with it in some way in New York. Yeah, so that's misleading. I mean, in a lot of this, like, again, a, a buzz term going around is that Green New Deal that, that whatever name is, AOC or whatever is she's pushing. That's very clearly just meant to create jobs. Right. You know, it is, it's like, because the green thing to do, the ecologically responsible thing to do is kind of what we're talking about. Maybe don't use plastic spoons use spoons that last 300 years, you know, and, <laughs> you know, and, I, and I've brought this point up many times as well. The green thing to do is not to buy a fuel efficient car or an electric car. It's to drive every car that's already produced into the fucking ground until it's dead, you know, like use that thing until it, it just cannot drive anymore and then try and recycle, I guess, what you can from it or do whatever. But at the very least, uh, yeah, drive these things, you know, right into the ground. Yeah, buying new things is the worst thing that you can right. do. Right! Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, like, rebuilding all these buildings, that's not ecologically responsible. That, in fact, it's the fucking opposite, which I think is kind of Jim's point, to some degree. And, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm reading into it. But on that angle, like, I agree. You know, I mean, I and I've, I've been a proponent for that for, forever. If there's already something that exists and it's a pain in the ass to recycle it, then let's, whatever the fuck it is that exists, let's fucking use it till it's dead, you know? And at the very least, in that regard, we, you know, we did this Native American style where we used everything we could until you couldn't use it anymore, you know? And at least we were responsible in that sense. Um, 
And even if that's not perfect, none of these solutions are really perfect other than being, you know, like a, a more conscious consumer. Uh, none of these things are, are, are really perfect solutions to, I mean, I think there are genuine ecological concerns. They're very real. Um, but, but at the very least, we could say, really, we did everything we could. And, you know, we used it right to the end. Um, you had a great point. I mentioned this earlier about how, because, because Jim's talking about how, okay, well, there's, um, landfills that like are converting, converting the methane into gases, or, or I mean, it's, it's a gas converting it into energy. That's what I mean to say. Um, but you were talking to me earlier about how, okay, yeah, there's some modern landfills that, you know, can, can be a little more efficient about how it's, how it handles what gets put in it. But we don't know how many of those are. And by all metrics, most landfills are not operating with that kind of efficiency. And they're, but they're still operating. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. uh, Well, that's kind of what I was saying earlier was that, Mm -hmm. you know, landfills have been around since the 30s. You know, there are plenty of old landfills. But what Jim is talking about the landfills that can take that can actually capture the methane and use it for like a combined heat power plant mm-hmm. um which is like a really novel and useful way to use that gas i i agree that's you know that's very environmentally friendly i guess if yeah. if you want to like use that captured methane gas as fuel for something else that's brilliant but there, that that's only for the modern facilities. Mm-hmm. That's not for the pre-existing ones. Like I know for a fact, we've been to the local yes. landfill uh, where we live, and you know, I was talking to the guy that works there. He was saying, um, you know, plenty of people have asked him, like, you know, this is so much square acreage. Why don't you turn it into a soccer field or something? Mm-hmm. And the guy was saying, like, well, because the kids would die. They'd be breathing in all this methane gas. Because, yeah. like, for most facilities, the methane just comes out and there's nowhere for it to go. It yeah. just kind of seeps into the atmosphere. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I was ready to light one up and, and the guy just, like, uh, tackled me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <He's> just not... <laughs> I was like, what? Smoke if you got him. And he's like, no, no. <laughs> Smoke him if you got him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, those gases can actually be really explosive. Like, yeah. it is dangerous to be close to most landfills yeah and i couldn't find any like percentages on like what what percentage of landfills in the u.s are modern versus you know pre-existing right well now so this is this reminds me of the concerns around nuclear plants uh we now have nuclear plants that can burn its own waste and so it's an entirely closed system and you don't need to toss it all into the Yucatan or whatever the fuck. Or wherever Yucca they, Mountain? Yucca, not Yucatan. Jesus Christ. Yes. <laughs> There's plutonium in the Yucatan. <laughs> the coffee still hasn't kicked in. God damn it. In the, yeah, Yucca Mountain, right? Um, what a great name. So. And that's amazing that they can do that. I mean, new, so new nuclear power facilities are safe and environmentally friendly, is what you're saying. Right. But we still have how many Fukushimas, you know, around the world? And that's the problem, is that, okay, great. And it is genuinely great, and I am absolutely, I'm actually very supportive of nuclear technology, uh, or nuclear, you know, uh, powered technology and of nuclear plants, especially newer ones. I am completely behind 
studying thorium again. I mean, I am game on for this stuff, okay? Because for whatever weird reasons, that was all held off. And it probably had to do with some asshat not liking the fact that coal wasn't going to power the world anymore. And they lobbied hard. But no need to go there. Bottom line is that we still have a ton of nuclear power plants around the world that do not does not burn its own waste, and we don't know what the fuck to do with them, and every one of them is, I mean, I get the concerns that they're a fucking ticking time bomb, because it's 50-year-old technology that was risky 50 years ago, and now has just gotten older, and you can't convert them. You know, you can't convert them to be this efficient thing. So what the fuck? And, and it's the same score with the landfills. You can't convert these landfills. I mean, they've already been piled on and piled on and piled on. You can't convert them to where they do the clean business, okay? Or where there's some kind of efficiency where it can somehow pay back to civilization by, you know, turning the uh, methane into some kind of, you know, energy. So, you know, we have these things all sitting around that that, that are kind of kind of fucking us and and are still, again, still being used. And not just being used, but if you ask the municipalities or the geographies or whatever governments are around, and of course government's always ultimately the problem, but if you ask them, they'll tell you, no, we can't shut down the nuclear power plant because then people aren't going to have power. Or no, we have to keep using this landfill. Otherwise, etc., etc., it turns into the recycling situation where, well, it's just too expensive to convert everything over. You know, what do you want us to do? Tax you by 100%? You know, I mean, and... and those are kind of the responses you're going to to get. And again, that's why I get to my ultimate answer is, is that people have to shift their mindset and have an understanding and, and somehow just produce less waste. I get it. I get the concerns around recycling. I get, you know, I get Jim's side. I understand exactly what you're saying, Ellen, and right on. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it it's... I mean, the the thing is, like, we can't just keep building landfills and hope for a solution. Like, we have to try to do something now, Yeah. you know? I mean, like, even if it's not the perfect solution. Mm -hmm. um, But I I don't want to be, like, pro-landfill and say, like, oh, yeah, let's just throw things in landfills. Like, maybe the modern landfills are good for the U.S., but, you know, the U.S. isn't the only country making trash. Yeah, Um, yeah. And there's there's just got to be a better way to do things. And, like, honestly, the most effective thing, again, is just to not buy new stuff. And yeah. Yeah, so that's that's what I got. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and I, I've been a proponent of buying refurb, you know, like refurb electronics and everything, all the time. I do it all the time. Uh, big fan, you know. So, yeah, uh, I, I don't expect governments to solve it. I don't expect regulations around... Uh, recycling and things like this to really ultimately be able to solve it. Um, I mean, I wish we could convince people, no, Teslas are fucking bad. The video we were watching, you know, about uh, about the, what is it, Gruber? Was that the name of the of the oh, garage? yeah, yeah. So when, when I was looking into the Teslas earlier, I'm like, mm-hmm. so what happens to bricked Tesla vehicles? Because those have tons of batteries in them. Yeah. Uh, so there's one facility, I think it's like out in California, um, they will take bricked Teslas and they'll actually like individually recharge the battery packs. Right. And you would probably understand that more than I do. And I shouldn't, but yeah. <laughs> well, you were saying that they're essentially uninterrupted power supplies. Yeah, they're ups. They're ups. Well, this is what the guy, the guy who did this, cause they're asking him, like they're interviewing this guy and they're like, so how'd you figure this out? He says, well, 
these you know th these batteries a tesla is is more a computer than it is a car and he said the battery in them or the whole system in it basically functions like w what's called a ups or we we would call them an ups um it, which is an un uninterrupted power supply these are very common people have them at home i've had them at homes that i've had where it, it's just like a box that you plug into the wall and you plug your computer into and that way if the power goes out your computer just doesn't instantly shut off you get i don't know 45 minutes or depending upon the size of the ups uh you get you know again that's why it's uninterrupted power supply you get power to where okay i can click save and i can shut this thing down properly or whatever or it can run until the power comes back on but it's essentially a battery right yeah. it stores energy right and has it there for when you need it and that it, that is a tesla runs on that exact principle so these guys they're not car guys they're it guys and but they're like well this thing's a fucking you know it's a computer on wheels and so we so they were able to you know that's why nobody could do it before was because they were thinking of it as a car when it's it is but it's not and so they're like yeah we've been doing this for years and so it was very easy for them to figure out how to like recondition these batteries and you know and do what they do because it's just like repairing an ups which uh, a company i worked for in the past part technology we did that we did the same exact thing where we were repairing up systems we'd get them in they'd be all clogged up because they're in restaurants you know you can imagine all the grease that was in them and everything but that's basically what we did we, we reconditioned these systems so yeah it's, it's something that's been done for a very long time the scary part to bring this up the scare and why i mention it the scary part is and this is what should scare the fuck out of everybody that are like environmentally concerned or whatever or ecologically concerned or wondering about recycling is that this guy basically said he's like yeah so after we were studying these teslas uh we we came to the conclusion these were not designed to be fixed no uh tesla doesn't the company does not offer to you know fix your brick cars they right. basically just replace the entire battery pack mm -hmm. for what like ten thousand dollars yeah. or something yeah yeah they don't do service yeah overall teslas are not meant to be repaired they were now so this this garage gruber garage or whatever it is they specifically work on the original roadsters the tesla roadsters um they say they're trying to expand to the other ones but they're one of i mean they're the biggest operation in the country it sounds like there might have been there might be a few others um but but that's just the notion that and, and in fact uh the person that wrote the article about it brought up a great point where he says, he says so the, the the concern that gets brought up in this video that okay these things were never meant to be repaired raises some pretty big questions meaning mm -hmm. did elon musk just not take tesla seriously right that 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 he wouldn't repair them you know uh, like or or there is just rampant stupidity involved and like that these people just don't know how to how to make cars you know, I, right? It was something along those lines, but certainly right. the first part was 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 a key point, uh, and I think I I actually believe number one that Musk, you didn't think it was going to be a long lasting company. Yeah, yeah, I think that he thought it was a joke, or that it, it was some the whole everything Musk does is a fucking scam and a scheme, like everything. This guy and I have ripped on this guy forever, and I get tired. Talk about something I complain about. I get tired of libertarians praising this guy. He is deserving of zero praise none everything he's got if taxation is theft and that's a libertarian credo this guy is this is this is one of your number one thieves he is taking all of your fucking money he uh, oh he's terrible anyway 
how how is it environmentally conscious to drive to buy a car drive a car that is not designed to be repaired that uh, that that boggles my mind and and the lack of engineering uh foresight involved with I, oh it, it's 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 crazy so you know, but the thing is, is that if you probably, if you go out and like talk to your everyday people, I mean, and you go to, you go to, you know, university and whatever, it's like, oh, do you think Teslas are helping the environment? And they probably say yes. And it's like, what? no. Yeah. People have said yes to that. And I've brought up points about like, you know, the battery production, uh, you know, that's incredibly toxic to the environment. Yes. And they say, well, I would buy one just to encourage people to think about switching away from or like you know moving their lives to a direction where they're not relying on fossil fuels as much and that is you really have to sidestep a lot of facts to get to that point yeah and when you're sidestepping facts you're left with faith and that's dangerous to be operating under the auspices of faith like that's holy hell Anyway, yeah, I was so glad you found this video because that it was that was fascinating. Yeah, it was. And yeah. like the guy who was working on these battery packs, he was saying, you know, if they had been conscious of like repairability, they might have designed it in this way. So he was like suggesting ways that they could make it more serviceable. Yeah, but they're not going to do that. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and 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 we don't, it doesn't it doesn't even take like getting into the conspiratorial side of like planned obsolescence. Or where, yeah, they don't want this car to last forever because they want you to buy a new one when this thing fucking dies, you know, or, or whatever. You don't even have to go there, you know, with this. Uh, this is this is just horrible, horrible, horrible engineering. Um, I, I, I'm and at a loss for words. I mean, like, it's pretty interesting. Um, I think recently Tesla opened a battery recycling facility mm-hmm. in, I think it was Utah. Oh, is that at, like the, the uh, at the Giga plant? Yeah, or whatever? the Giga pl- Giga factory. factory. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, Giga factory. Yep. Um, which I mean, like that's so the batteries aren't just being stored in a warehouse. Now they are being recycled. Okay. And who knows what kind of technology they're using for recycling? I mean, um, batteries at least you can recycle the majority of the materials in them, but there's still a certain percentage that'll end up in the waste. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole other conversation, too. Yeah. Uh, but And, like, the process for recycling batteries is not very... I mean, that's pollutive as well. But it's less pollutive than mining the new materials and then shipping it all the way over to the mm-hmm. U.S. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's not a perfect solution, but it's better than the alternative. Yeah. <sighs> so, I mean, like, te- so Tesla's doing some things to help improve, but... Yeah, I mean, they're definitely not making their vehicles serviceable. <laughs> yeah, and but again, Tesla only, and, and I hear you, just Tesla only operates as a company on that small scale. Right. It cannot operate at a bigger scale. It can't. Not uh, until we have more nuclear power plants. You're, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe, maybe that's it. Uh, but I think there's probably a good reason Elon wants to get to Mars. Uh, <laughs> if anything, to, to, to get away from the rioters when people find out that he's been, you know, scamming them this whole time. But uh, regardless. So, okay. Well, anyway, I mean, what do you have any other comments you want to make on the whole recycling thing? Um, not. I think we said it all. I mean, I... 
I I don't mean anything against you know your emailer, but it yeah. sounded like he was pro landfill. Well, he's saying you know that there'll be another solution that'll come down the line, and I get that. You know, I, like I understand. I just I don't have all the you know I I I just don't know you know because it seems like in so many ways people don't care you know like it, it and or if they do even when they do care they are just offloading okay i want my politicians to solve this and that's worse almost than not caring because you know, that's not going to solve shit no and we're so lucky that we live here because if we were to live in a third world country we would have to deal with it mm-hmm. you know we'd be living on top of it yeah right right <laughs> right so, I mean, I, I just, so there has to be other solutions that come up, and I really hope that there are. And there are some interesting things. Like, I've heard of uh, genetically modified bacteria that can eat, eat plastic. plastic. Yeah. And, you know, that's a great idea. But what about the cadmium in the water? Oh, boy. Cadmium, <laughs> you know? antidepressants, and whatever the fuck else is, is leaching in. Yeah, <sighs> aspirin and artificial sweeteners. Uh mercury you know go down the list there's all sorts of things byproducts of our society that are just ending up in water and there's nothing to fill that niche to fix it so we're just making more and more problems and now we have to panic and scramble and find solutions for these things when really we could do something right now by just not engaging in consumerism i i say this half in jest the number one killer of humanity is civilization. I, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, like even uh, what is it? Coronary heart disease and cancer. Like those two things are greatly increased in number just by living a modern American life. Uh, I mean, that's all I can do is make mouth noises. You know, make some lavish mouth noises here. I mean, I'm just because <laughs> it's, it's just so crazy, but. Yeah, I don't don't even know where to go from that. But it's an important conversation to be had. I I get what Jim is saying. And I want to make it abundantly clear that I am not supportive of, like, half. I can barely think of anything that I'm supportive of that I've heard from municipalities as far as, like, for a lot of solutions to this stuff. Um, I mean, you raised a great point that kind of a, a secret solution is if people took composting more seriously. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, we, you know, we we, we uh, have, like, a compost bin that we pay for. Right. And, and that we, you know, we do. And, again, that takes effort. You're not just going to throw the coffee and the coffee filters in the trash. You have to think, no, I'm going to put it into the compost bin or whatever. And... Yeah, that's a really interesting point, too, because a lot of the... Like, all of the methane that's produced in landfills are from the anaerobic... Uh, metabolism of plant material so that's Mm -hmm. paper products and food that people are throwing away yeah whereas those things could be just put in a compost bin and then you know eventually it'll be turned into dirt or fertilizer right it doesn't have to go to the landfill and produce methane which is like really interesting in other countries like africa where they don't have food waste their landfills aren't smelly like ours are yeah, right, 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 because they're so big on yeah. composting, right? But you could actually use your trash in that sense to, uh, like, help with your gardening. Or, you mm-hmm. know, you could sell it to someone who wants to use it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and this is, you know, the 
to take advantage of composting. Again, it is something that you pay for. Or you do yourself. Or you can do yourself. Yep, that's absolutely. Um, you know, so, I mean, you either pay in money or time, you know, and but it's worthwhile. And yes. it's very worthwhile. And this speaks to the problem. Like, if you actually care, you know, okay, sure. Ocean plastic's very expensive to, to you know, to purchase because you're paying for the collection of it and that's a pain in the ass and blah, 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 and whatever. You know, I mean, just as an example, okay? But then is it worth it to you or not? You know, like, like I, I mean, do, do you see it as worthwhile to have shit cleaner or, you know, to, to be more efficient with the processes that, you know, that we live under or not? And are you willing to pay a bit of a premium for that? I say, yeah, go for it. Especially since we've all contributed to this problem. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we might as well put in a little extra effort to try and fix some of it. Just my habits of paper towels make it worthwhile for me to pay for composting. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm so terrible. Uh, but, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, so there are some solutions out there that nobody, that, frankly, you don't hear enough about. Right. You know, which is unfortunate. I mean, like, comp the... The service that we pay for to compost, mm -hmm. I have never heard of it. Like, the, I don't think they're going to be advertising anywhere, but it's such a good idea. Yeah, yeah. And not expensive at all. No, I, it's like it, $15 a month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'd rather people, you know, that's about the price of a Netflix account. Well, how about you try to save the planet a little bit instead of sit on your ass and watch some cultist horse shit, you know? I mean, like, I, I sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I know I lose patrons when I make fun of Netflix because, well, I don't know. I guess it's somebody's god somehow. Uh, anyway, or, or I just did it again. Fuck. Okay, I'm sorry. It's addictive entertainment. Yeah, and it's always there, and it wants to know when you're on the go and when you're sitting down. And just like a Tesla. Just, yes. Yeah. Well, we've brought that up, and I've brought that, or I mean, and, and I know actually, we one of the fir the first episode you and I did, we were ripping on electric cars. This was yeah. years ago. Oh, yeah. It was so phenomenal. It was. Yeah. Uh, people can look that up. I think I titled it "Ellen Killed the Electric Car." It's a great episode. <laughs> you, you were brilliant as you always are. Um, but. Yeah, we've brought this up, that Teslas know everything that you're doing. Now, granted, I want to be abundantly clear, every car company, and I've brought this up too on Sovereign Tech, every car company knows what you're doing at any given moment. Ford knows that Ford said it, and then they had to retract it because they're like, oh shit, we revealed too much. Um, and that gets into a whole other conversation. Of course, the point I brought it up when I brought it up years ago was that, see, the government knows when every, any crime is being committed. That, like, that's literally what Ford said, is they know when every crime is being committed. And it's like, Okay, but then the government doesn't do anything about it. So that doesn't that make government complicit in all crime? Yes. But anyway. Well, I mean, they're the ones creating criminals anyway. Yes, you they just are. have to make something illegal. Yep. That, that there you go. Bingo. Well, um Whew, Yeah, what a heavy that's conversation. a conversation. <laughs> yeah. So I did have a, we're not going to get to it because we're, we're we're already running really long. I did have another question about altering the human genome which came in a few weeks ago that I know you had comments you wanted oh, to get into. Oh, can we please talk about that? But I'm sure your listeners wouldn't mind an extra long uh, <sighs> Q&A session, right? All right, all right, I mean, all right, all right. And plus, who knows when the next time I'm going to be on this? Well, sooner the better, but... Yeah, for, yeah, you but I mean, see like, what she's doing right now, folks. She is... Uh, <laughs> I'm using... <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, using uh, my... 
convincing techniques. Yeah, very convincing techniques, my, my. Okay, um, <laughs> you're going to do something about this later. Okay, so, um, all right, fine, we'll, 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 uh, we'll get into it here. Um, so, I mean, I guess this dovetails nicely off of the whole recycling question, saving the planets, or the planet, but in this case, we planets, I suppose. Uh, this is a question that I got, and I, and I got into a bit of a deep dive on it, and it's from Slagathor, and it has to do with, I mean, I'll just read the relevant part here. Uh, sometime in the future, humans may go to space with the intention of colonizing other planets in our solar system, or planetoi planetoids and exoplanets. Most of these environments will undoubtedly be incredibly harsh for life as we know it. I think you've mentioned in the past that you feel intergenerational ships are unethical for the children born on them. But does this also apply to human colonies of other celestial bodies? Also, if you have time, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on the ethics of genetic modification of future generations to better suit these new environments. So I went on a very long diatribe about that, explained my position about how, yeah, I think, uh, you know, having children for, I don't know, the purpose of like colonizing another planet, as in like you're having them on these ships and they might not ever even see that planet, you know, it could be 30 or, you know, four generations later that would finally see it, that I think that that's unethical. You know, I, I went into my whole deep dive on this. Yeah, you talked a lot about intergenerational ships, mm -hmm. but I don't feel like you spent enough time addressing the questions that the that Slagathor was asking. Yeah, so, well, I did bring up, I, I, I do feel like I answered this, okay? So there are, there, there are environments, okay, it, it here, I, maybe the simplest way I can put it is an allegory. And I want to hear your thoughts on all this, too. Okay. But the simplest way to put this is an allegory. Raising or having children on planetoids, okay, say, I don't know, Titan, uh, Enceladus, Europa, whatever, even though I know that there are still going to be, you know, or even Mars or Venus, there might be, like, domes that they have to live under. I mean, you can build a lot of those domes, okay? But the the the, uh, the analogy I want to give you, and not that proof by analogy is proof, but it's just an easy way of getting this out in this instance, is we have the concern of, and we've had it for decades, of, you know, if you just, if you're scared of the world on Earth today, if you are scared of the world outside and you don't ever let your kid outside of the house... Most people, uh, be it scientists, doctors, psychologists, whatever, okay, would basically say that's not healthy, right? Sure. Because you're not exposing them to all kinds of, there's social concerns. There are uh, spatial concerns, as in, I mean, you know, speaking of like in developing countries, you know, you have people, I mean, some of the living conditions around the world, you have people that literally live in like five by two living spaces and they sleep with their legs hanging off of something. I mean, you know, hanging off like the side of a building. That's their room and they pay rent for that. It's insane. Okay. Uh, that is not conducive <laughs> to, to, you know, a healthy human being. Right. Yeah. There are even health concerns around that. You know, yeah. being exposed to the micro environment. Sure. So for a child to be stewarded into adulthood in a healthy way, they need space. And I don't mean outer space. I mean, they just need space, volume. They need, 
you know, like like they need room to grow with and room to run. Room to run, exactly. Um, they need all these things. They need to be able to encounter other people. Okay, uh, you know, keeping a child in a home because you're scared of what's out there or whatever, or you know, just because it is that enclosed space and there's a limited. Uh, an extremely limited amount of people, even though you can only have meaningful relationships with anywhere between five to 250 people, according to the Dunbar number. Okay. Not, you know, not encountering uh, more people is ultimately a harmful thing. Okay. Um, On a spaceship, I would argue that the average spaceship would be analogous to the average home. And that you would basically be raising kids in an incredibly enclosed space that would have all of the same problems that we warn about today. Okay. On a planetoid of any kind, even on an asteroid like Eros or something, I don't think you would run into those issues. I think that you would have very healthy population numbers. Um, you would, there's no reason that, that a kid can't just, you know, I mean, like they have plenty of room to run even if it's under a huge dome of some kind. Um, or, you know, I mean, something as simple as, like, say, on Venus, which I think is the most practical uh, uh, place for humanity to colonize, for lack of a better word, you know, in the clouds, you can get out and, and breathe genuinely fresh air for, for what it is. And you can look up and see the sun. I mean, like, all these things that we, as humans, I think, need to grow into healthy human beings, and that's mentally, physically, etc. Uh, you can do on planetoids. You cannot do on a starship. Not on the average starship. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, I think there's a reason even in Star Trek why they came up with the holodeck. Uh, but we need to be honest with ourselves. Holodeck's a terrible idea. You know, <laughs> like because there's no way that humans would not get addicted to that. Like, I mean, sure, Barkley got addicted to it, but it's it's unfathomable that not everybody just wants to live in a holodeck the rest of their lives and that creates whole other concerns but that's sidestepping the the whole point so does my analogy help with my point on on why i think it's okay for kids to be born and grow up on planetoids on celestial bodies and not on starships yeah so that definitely addresses like the physical and mental health aspects of it you Mm -hmm. know like socializing and having room to run around and play and uh, be able to explore and do all the things that kids love to do. Um, but I guess one thing that um, that I'm curious about that I think maybe Slagathor was hinting at was like, you know, the you mentioned there's an ethical concern about um, generational ships where like you shouldn't be having kids just to populate that ship so that they can just populate the next generation. Yeah. Um, when that's not the kind of environment that they're meant to live in. Mm -hmm. But you could kind of also make the same argument about any other environment that's not Earth, you know? Well, I, I think so. So here's here's where the where the confusion is, because this can happen. The the problem, the real problem with having kids on a on a starship, especially one intergenerational with a purpose of getting to another planet, right, after however many decades or hundreds of years even, okay, the same problem can happen on Earth, and it does happen on Earth. And I kind of, I brought it up, you know, like uh, the reasons that people have children. 99% of the reasons that people have children are horrible, unethical reasons. 
In fact, it's actually tough to even come up with that 1% that makes any kind of sense. Um, you Like here in libertarianism, okay, uh, you have people, and it's a phrase, they have liberty babies. You, you literally have people having children, and they will tell you straight to your face, I'm having this kid because this kid is going to get raised by me, and it's going to be a rebel, and it's going to take down the state. How dare you, motherfucker, tell that kid what they're meant to do in their life? You have no control over their destiny, or if you think you do, you're a fucking tyrant yourself. You know, and and so... But parents do have a real control over their children's destiny in the fact that they choose where the child is born and where it grows well, up. Well, yes. Right. So, but, but you see my point. If you're having a kid on Earth to bring down the state, that's terrible. Like, if that is the reason you are having them, because you think somehow you're some special motherfucker that, uh, you know, that, that and you're going to have kids that are going to, like, in the future are going to bring down the state. No, you bring down the state. Don't, don't you fucking have your kid do that. How dare you? You bring down the state and then maybe have a kid, you know, when they can grow up in a world without, you know, without that kind of domination, you know, around them. And the same is on the starship. If you are having a kid, to pilot your damn starship so that you can, so that the next generation can populate a planet. Um, you are controlling. You are absolutely. You are telling that kid what they are meant to do and what and and that that's that's just flat out unethical. Like you 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 are a steward to that child. You are not a tyrant of that child. And I think when you have kids for the pur- for those purposes. Um, yeah, I, I think it's tyrannical. I, I think it, and and not conducive. Like even in that, that that creates a sense of duty that no kid should feel. You know, I, I mean, it's just oh, it's terrible. So you don't see a problem with people having children in these exoplanets or planetoids or whatever, um, as long as the environment that they're living in is actually like huge and full of variety and can stimulate them in ways that they need to be stimulated. Yes. Um, Yeah, I don't have a problem then. And, I mean, also, frankly, if they're not, if these environments are not in some way expansive, I don't think people would want to have kids anyway. You know, like, like, I mean, if you... Well, you would think that, but look at New York City. Look at (sighs) Tokyo. Yeah, but but there there's concepts. I mean, you're still running into the issue of like that we live on Earth, and so you're not concerned. You're not so concerned about what's outside, as in, can I even breathe? Mm-hmm. You know. So so there's a lot of unconscious factors that still I think kind of push people to go ahead and have kids. You know, as to where I think if you're living in a tin can in space, effectively, um, I think there's a. I think it's the opposite where there's a lot of unconscious signals to not, you know, have, have children. And I mean, just the reality is going to hit you pretty quick if you, if you start doing that. So ultimately, and, and that's, that's the problem is that again, the only reason I think that people would do that is if it's because it has an end goal, like an intergenerational colonization ship. Right. But again, that's unethical because you're having kids with a, with some kind of weird ass purpose. And I and, and like I like I brought up last time we talked about this. I understand and I agree with the idea. Like Carl Sagan says, we need to be a multi-planetary species so that we can survive. 
Okay, I mean, I think we innately, at least some of us, are meant to be a multiplanetary species anyway. Um, like, that's part of our genetic code. And I get that. But we don't have to go to Proxima B to save the species. We don't have to do intergenerational starships for humanity to live on. We can go to Venus. We can go to Mars. We can go to Enceladus. We can go to Europa. We can go to Titan. Maybe even Ganymede. Whatever. Okay, I mean, like we those are those are far more practical options. There's no requirement whatsoever. Na in fact, I dare say NASA is wasting its goddamn time looking for exoplanets. Like that that is that is almost a waste of money if the if the if if, if the equipment wasn't already up there. Um, because, you know, all right, no, let's just, let's spend money on on getting our own solar system in order. You know, and and then then we can start looking maybe out there. But regardless, anyway, what do you have to say about that? Um, I guess, yeah, no, everything you're saying makes sense. Um, yeah, I guess, like, my only concern would be, you know, like, is it is it really breathable? Is it comfortable? You know, do, do you get enough greenery? Do you get enough sunlight? You know, those are all f conditions that humans have, uh, you know, grown up with. Yeah. Not just, not just, like, us personally, but our ancestors you know we've evolved to fit this planet specifically sure yeah and um there are things here that affect us subconsciously like even bird noises so relaxing yeah it, it, they're just things that are like integrated into our subconscious that i don't know would be on other planets yeah um well part of this is why i think and, and that's fair all of that's fair, because, I, I mean, I agree. Like, part of the reason that you don't want to keep the kid locked up in the house is because, look, you know, the kid's got to get his hands dirty. Yeah, and, and literally. He has, literally has to get his hands dirty so that his, his fucking immune system can develop. Right, right. Yeah. So the micro, uh, that's what I was saying earlier, like the microorganisms mm -hmm. that a child comes in contact with, that really affects how their immune system develops over time. Yeah, that's and that's totally fair. Um, I mean, the reason why Venus is the most exciting planet in the solar system to me um and this is not anything new actually before even the theory that uh or, or where it was hypothesized that we could literally just like set up li literally a city in the clouds on venus and it would basically be like living in florida just a little, you know maybe 10 degrees hotter or something um but even before that my episode 2099 from seven years ago i talked about colonizing venus you know, I mean, that, that I've always been excited about this, about that planet in particular. And the reason I'm excited about that is because it is the one where you're going to feel the gravity. In fact, the gravity is very comparable. You're going to get the sunlight. You're going to get the, you can breathe, you can just breathe the air. You're not living in a dome. Okay. And the hardest part would be, I mean, yeah, the animal life thing is actually a very real concern. Like that we're meant to hear nature and stuff like this. I understand that. Um, but I mean, you know, you can have uh, hydroponics. Uh, you, you know, you, you can have, um, I mean, you can bring the dirt with you, you know, uh, I mean like there, those are things, it's the best shot, you know, that, that, that we've got in my opinion, because it's the one that has the most available, uh, that we're used to it. It's not perfect, but then maybe that gets into the, you know, a uh, uh, little, uh, gene modification or genetic modification, like was like Slagathor brought up, um, what exactly that looks like 
you know, I mean, that those are big questions. I mean, what do you got? Yeah, I mean, so from what I remember from what you said addressing this email, uh, mm -hmm. as far as genetic modification goes, I think you said, like, that wasn't really a problem, but that's also assuming that evolution doesn't work that quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, is that true? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm amenable to the idea. Uh, I, I mean, there are concerns to be had, you know, certainly. Um, I mean, that, that's that's some pretty serious playing God. Uh, but like, I'm, I'm open to that being a thing. And I've, I've been fairly convinced that, that this is something that, that can be done. Um, whew. I mean, it gets into some big areas, but yeah, I mean, that's really all I have to say on it with the genetic modification. I mean, I'm not going to begin to pretend, uh, I mean, because, you know, you change one thing and then there's unseen factors or, you know, uh, or unconsidered not you know factors not considered of, of what that could do to another part of the human condition you know i mean that those are very real problems so i don't know what what, what do you have thoughts on that yeah i mean there there really is a huge bioethical debate to yep. be had about that because i mean like we as as humans have been having that debate since dolly the sheep was cloned yes you know? yep um you know, is it is it ethical for people not just to do cloning, but to modify their children? Like, is it ethical for businesses to spring up that can help you decide whether you want your kid to be like, you know, long and skinny or right. like short and thickly built or have brown hair and blue eyes or whatever? Like, yeah. is that something that is ethical? Like, if you could choose to make your child smarter and stronger and need less sleep and be able to survive on less f food, like, would you do that? And I think a lot of people are afraid of that because that gets into a place where you're starting to develop alternative human species, you know, like very different subsets of humans. Um, and I mean, people are naturally afraid of the other, you know? I mean, that is uh, that could start a whole different kind of racism that humans have never even experienced, at least not in the past 20,000 years. Yeah. And I hear that. And you and you're absolutely right in bringing that up. Um, my this is something and I've talked about this on Sovereign Tech. Uh, the reason that I'm amenable, because it is going to create different types of humans. Like, I mean, it just is. There, there's no other way to quantify it. But this is something that I feel medical uh, medical science has not has not gone far enough on, or has not gone to understand enough on. It's getting there. It's starting, but eventually, I think it's going to get to this point. And I could be wrong, but eventually, it's going to get to this point. I already think that there are that Homo sapiens is far too big an umbrella, meaning that I think there already are different types of humans. I've talked about Homo empathicus. Uh, like, I, I, th I, th that's I think it's already a thing. The, a great example to bring up of how this would work, of, like, have, of, you know, genetically modifying humans to exist on other uh, uh, celestial bodies. One, you know, a, a major concern on, not on Venus, but, say, on other planetoids, a major concern would be oxygen, right? Yeah, what absolutely. Well, there are already humans... And there have been humans in the past, like, or not humans, but there have been other uh, uh, species, Homo, in the past, that evolved to need less. Oh, like those that the, live in the Himalayas. The Tibetans, mm -hmm. right, 
And the Tibetans are descendants, we know now, of Denisovans, which was an, an ancient hominid species. Okay. Um, and so if you modified people to be more like the Tibetans, which again, they already exist. It's already a thing. And I would, I would almost argue, that, you know, I mentioned Homo empathicus, I would almost argue that Tibetans should be like Homo Tibeticus or something like that. Okay, or be, or Homo Tibetans because they already operate in a they have they have a different capability, you know, than than a lot of humanity. What do you got? Well, I just think genomics is such an interesting area of study. I mean, um, clearly, like the Human Genome Project has mapped the human genome, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that we understand what these genes are doing. I mean, like still there there are rare illnesses being discovered where like you know people thought that there was a a pseudo gene just sitting around not doing anything it was like mm-hmm. a piece of code that was useless and repetitive mm-hmm. and then they find out like oh this is actually really essential to this function mm-hmm. so i mean like the biology of humans not just humans but biology overall is so it, it's such a complicated field and there's so many moving parts and pieces like it's so complicated that like no one understands it not even the most cutting edge technology like we we've collected so much information on it but we like we could never recreate it not in a million years and i mean not with our science that's for sure yeah there are ways that we can modify living beings to do very specific things and we're good at doing that with bacteria but mm-hmm. bacteria are incredibly simple. Yeah. I mean, we can modify mice and pigs and rabbits and whatever to do very specific things. But when it comes to, like, changing abilities or, you know, changing functionality, I think that's really advanced science. And, like, maybe we could do that to help humans fit into different environments that are, like, more scarce in oxygen, for example. But... um you know that that is something that I feel like we would have to do a lot of testing on. Well, that's the scary part. Yeah. Because there's gonna we're gonna get some Frankenstein's, okay? Frankenstein's monsters, I should say, like that. There's it's gonna get it, there's gonna be some ugly points, I think, when that happens, and that's the part that worries me. Like, yeah, we just have to be so careful. Yeah. Um. I. I mean, and and you're like the Human Genome Project. Great point. Okay, because. They when that started, scientists expected oh there's going to be hundreds of thousands, you know of genes and everything and we're going to, every little one we're going to know how to map it instantly and we're going to know what it does and it's this like this one's going to control this what a part of the uh, what what a human does and this one's going to control this. Decades down the line, oh shit, maybe there's like twenty thousand, and that's and and it, like the reason they got their math wrong is because they thought that genes were all like very individualistic in what they controlled and what they did but that's not how we operate no and now there's <laughs> epigenetics right which is a big field right. coming out now where it's not even just the genes themselves it's how they're expressed exactly so we even with the human genome being mapped we don't know how the fuck this works we just don't know okay so so even getting into genetically modifying humans which yeah the chinese government's already already ordering and doing okay um, and you know, CRISPR's a thing, right? Um, we really don't have a grasp or understand this, and 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 that's where my concerns come in. But the abstract notion of modifying humans 
to adapt to new environments. Evolution could do it on its own, and it would. Just like, that's clearly what happened to the, the Tibetans. The Tibetans weren't genetically modified. But there would be so many years of difficulty, you know? Yes. Like, the, it would be very difficult for humans as they are to exist in some of these environments that are exerting enough pressure mm -hmm. to cause that evolution to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, the, flip, the other side, too, though, is that I'm, I'm always big on having biodiversity. And I think having a more diverse... Uh, uh, a more diverse amount of, of types of humans, you know, I, I like I, I I actually see that as a good thing. Um, trying to come up with, I mean, th this gets into, I mean, talk about Nazis, you know, getting into where oh we're going to make the superior human. Well, now that's 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 a recipe for failure. You can't make one type of human that is just the best at everything. Like that's never going to happen. Life life in the universe doesn't work that way okay like that like that that you you can't do that but trying to be a little more purpose-built being more like i said diverse having some kind of biodiversity uh, you know I, I i don't really i i think that that's uh intriguing and to some degree you're just speeding up necessity but yeah i i, I mean I, I i worry about what it takes to get to that and, 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 and that actually keeps me from really even wanting to, to do it. But again, I will say this, uh, the best people to populate Mars would be the Tibetans, <laughs> you know, I mean, to be hanging out in those domes, uh, that they got a pretty good shot at survival. Yeah. I mean, we would definitely want people who don't require a lot of oxygen to be exactly. the ones that are populating these oxygen sparse exactly. environments. Right. Right. So so the idea of different types of humans, again, I think it already exists. Evolution already created a lot of them. Western science and Western medicine doesn't recognize that we're not all homo sapiens. Well, here's the thing. Like, how would you delineate? Because genetics is such a complicated science, mm -hmm. and it's not even, like, you know, s split off linearly. It's There are things that overlap and then things that don't overlap. Mm -hmm. So... Like, how would you delineate between different, uh, you know, like, subspecies? I think we're only just figuring that out. I, I don't know that you could, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, mean... you could try, but there would never really be, like, a clear-cut line. That that might be true. I mean, and, and, and also understand that it's evolution doing this business, and we're not paying attention to it, and we're fucking anybody and everybody, which is great, you know? Uh, but <laughs> point being is that you're going to have a lot of hybrids, right? Even if there are different types of humans, it's not like there's any such thing as some kind of pure race. I mean, that's where a lot of eugenics, you know, fails. Well, if what you're saying is true, then everyone's a hybrid. Well... Or at I, least a lot of people. I, I, yeah, but I think there are certain markers that we're starting... Like, okay, so... I touch on this from time to time. The idea that we're meant to be a multiplanetary species... And again, I'm not the only person that says that. And other people that say that, I assure you, they are not racist. Okay. Uh, you have, what is it, the uh, DD47R gene? Oh, the explorer gene. Exactly. That's your favorite one. Yeah. Okay. Now, this is a gene that we know of. And we know of, we don't know that that's the only thing that contributes to the platitudes of the person that has it. Because... But there is a, 
there is enough there that these people, they call it the explorer gene because these are the people who, uh, I, I mean, you can use certain terms, but they're not all the best terms. You could say that they're promiscuous or they wander lust or they, you know, go down the list, whatever. But they are, it is a type of human that has gone down through humanity over the, the thousands of years, over the millennia. And it would be argued that these are the same people that kept pushing us forward, that kept us over the horizon, that kept us growing, that kept us going, and so on. Which I love bringing up because you have a lot of people who say, no, the reason humanity survives is because there are humans who stuck to traditions, blah, 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 you know, and uh, 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 what, what, what's the crap that they get into with, the, with evolutionary biology? Um, fuck. The rabbits and the wolves. I can't, I, it's, it's not coming to me. It, it's bullshit. But anyway... Um, oh, I think I know what you're talking about, like the the betas and the alphas. Uh, it, it's not exactly that. There's there's like the K type and R type or something oh, like that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, whatever. It's, it's all crap. But the people who say that sticking tradi traditions and being conservative are what allow humanity to survive, the explorer gene and the people that have it are the proof against that notion. No, it's actually the people who are very risky, who are risk takers. They are the ones that have kept humanity, that have gotten humanity to this point, that have kept pushing forward and going forward. So you, uh, the argument goes is that there are humans who, by design, by their genes, are meant to keep going to the next horizon and keep going and keep going. And that's why I argue there are people who are just, like, it is an innate, it is, you know, born in them a desire to go you know to go to the next land and we've explored everything here or i mean we're, we're still exploring and learning more but the next land is the moon the next land is venus the next land is mars and there are people who are just going to feel that drive to go there you know and i would argue that in, in a very real way those are those are other humans they're not superior at all they're just other humans you know, it's an other type of Homo sapien, Homo sapien exploricus or something. I don't know, whatever. I'm just making up names. Okay. Um, I don't know why exactly I brought that up because <laughs> we're kind of going all over the place here. Uh, but, oh, I, I, I guess that's to suggest that, that there, there are genes that get carried down that specific people have that regardless of how much they have of homo empathicus or tibetans or whatever they have that and that does put them into a certain subspecies that pushes them in that direction regardless so yeah we could all be hybrids but then there are still those certain traits that i think would be the real uh the real characteristics of what makes you this subspecies within homo sapiens if that yeah. makes sense well, I mean, there's also something interesting about that, too, which is that uh, the whole idea of nomenclature, of, mm. uh, you know, delineating between species and subspecies, mm -hmm. that's really just for the sake of nomenclature. Yep. I mean, uh, you know, maybe populations are separated for long enough and their genes get sufficiently different to call them something different, but uh, really when it comes down to the science of you know, separating these lines of descendants and whatnot, um, you know, it's all for the sake of convenience, the separation of species and subspecies. Right. Uh, so, like, perhaps what you're saying is true, that, like, there are, you know, I mean, like, there's, there's definitely evidence for it that, like, you know, there have been populations of humans separated, living in a special environment, 
uh, for long enough that they fit perfectly to that environment. Yeah. Like the Tibetans. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not human. They're just specialized. Specialized. Uh, yeah. I like that. Not superior, specialized. I love that you, I, I love that you said that. Because that's the problem when we have this kind of conversation is, well, are they better than us? No, no, no. They're just specialized. Like, like no, no one's better. There's no race or any of this crap that someone is better under the law or better under ethics or whatever. It's just specialized. I love that. Yeah, and I mean, like, humans do that in our, uh, our environments all the time. I mean, like, you specialize in tech. I specialize in something different. You know, the person down the road specializes in being a convenience store clerk. Which raises, and this kind of ties in with epigenetics, which you brought up earlier, which raises a very interesting point that I'm still chewing on. And that is, the argument has often been in medicine, nature versus nurture, right? Or in science, it's, you know, like, what is it? Is it nature versus nurture? What if that's a false dichotomy? What if it's not nature versus nurture? It's more about what do you will yourself to be? Or, you know, what do you choose to be? Because Whoa, what is this? The secret? No, 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 no. Yeah, no, 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 no. Well, unfortunately, I think some people would take this notion that far. But epigenetics is something that you can you can take part in. Oh, absolutely. With your diet. And you, your lifestyle. Exactly. And that's what I mean, is that the nature versus nurture debate might be complete horseshit. Because if you can alter your, epigenetically alter yourself, you are ultimately what you choose to be at the end of the day. I mean, there might be some nature, there might be some nurture involved, sure, because we're all dealing with the traumas of nurture, and we have, you know, it's the explorer gene or whatever that came through nature, whatever. But ultimately, you are what you choose, you know, or at least what you consciously, uh, or, well, it's not just consciously, you are what you what you choose. Um and so that nature versus nurture argument is might might just be crap. Again, I'm still wrestling with this. I don't want anybody to take it take me verbatim on that. That is a really interesting argument that you make. I mean, I in some ways I agree with you. I mean, mm-hmm. like as far as the nature argument goes, like you get dealt a hand of cards when you're yep. born. Uh, that's your genes that you inherit from your parents. Uh, and that's what you have to work with. Yeah. But over your lifetime, you know, you can make certain lifestyle choices like diet and exercise and getting plenty of fresh air and things like that. Um, like choosing those things can help you express different genes. Right. Um, or like if you're living under certain environmental pressures, like that's going to make different things express themselves. But like you nurture yourself. Things happen to you from like experiences with other people uh is that nature or is that nurture maybe it's both because like people are a natural part of your environment you Mm -hmm. know but ultimately in the end as you become more and more aware of what you can do as a person and what options you have and or even become aware of epigenetics and other things um you become more of what you choose and i mean you in many ways, I feel like you can kind of leave nature and nurture behind. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, like, nature's always going to be part of your life. Sure. Like, you have to live in nature. You have to live with your nature. But... Yeah, I'm not going to grow a sixth finger. That's right. not going to happen. Yes, right. But, yeah, you are right that if you repeatedly choose things again and again, eventually it will have an effect on you. Yeah. So nature and nurture can, in that 
way work hand in hand. Sure. And, but, but at that point it becomes something more than nature right. and nurture. It becomes your, your, you know, your conscious choice or your choice. Hopefully it's a conscious choice. So yeah. Um, I don't know that we can necessarily will ourselves to be, uh, better space explorers or, you know, <laughs> or, or to survive better on Titan. But yeah, well, I, I mean, I just hope that like whatever environment's being built there is like really suited for humans, you know? Yeah. It's not just thrown together by some mega corporation. It's like, all right, there's uh, an oxygen dome out there. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that, that's, that's for sure. I mean, I, I think that they're and, and we, boy, we could talk forever because, you know, those aren't the only options. You know, I mean, I think when it comes to having children, that's necessary. But as far as like, you know, adults, you know, if if two to five to 15, whatever adults want to hop into a starship or, you know, what makes for a, a space station of some kind and live the rest of their years there. Hey, go for it. You know, like like you, you have yourself a great goddamn time uh, and, and 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 do whatever you want you know, as, as far as that goes. So, I mean, and, and when you're playing on those smaller scales, the needs are significantly less, even though everything still has to be taken very seriously. Um, so, you know, human space habitation doesn't really require a lot of what we were just talking about. But if you want to do it right, and if you want to have children and have a next generation, I think these are the directions we have to be looking at. And these are the things we have to consider. So... Yeah, really interesting question that Slagathor sent in. Oh, whoever Slag... That person's fucking brilliant. I mean, they, <laughs> they sent in some other ones where I'm like, hot damn, you know? But anyway, so... <laughs> uh, do you want to go anywhere else with, with this, or do you want to wrap it up? I think we can wrap this one we up. We are well over two hours. That is, that is incredible. So, uh, But that's what happens when, uh, when you get the future behind the microphone and i don't mean me i mean the one and <laughs> the only man Ellen of school. tomorrow well i am the man of tomorrow but you are absolutely the future you are you're, you're what we can be so i am tomorrow you're my man <laughs> uh, ooh, oh that's good oh oh that's nice very nice very clever see that's why you're the future <laughs> i like that it's like so you are tomorrow and that's why i'm your man All right. I, I i love it and i love you i love you oh, wonderful so okay i'm you know what just just to just to, to tie it up i'm gonna leave you off with the level of the week i don't have to talk about it for long but uh the volume two uh from la la land records of star trek voyager uh came out and this is a beautiful soundtrack for this collection it is a masterpiece music from jay chataway and many others uh, if you want some great, frankly, atmospheric stuff and then some good, uh, you know, little action pieces here and there, you could do far worse. In fact, Voyager, what is it celebrating? 25 years. Wow. That's crazy that this is the 25th anniversary. In fact, it was like it was this month. I want to say it was earlier in January when it first aired. Um, God damn it. That's stupid. <laughs> That's just not right. I remember because I remember like going into Price Chopper and buying the magazine from Starlog that was like announcing, oh, here's all the cast, here's everybody for Star Trek Voyager, and getting really excited because this is like the first Star Trek where I was like really very aware of, you know, I was very conscious. I wasn't a little kid like when DS Nine. I was still a little kid. I was still like like eleven, 
or 12. Uh, so next gen, I was six, you know. Voyager, I was like aware and I was on board and I was ready for this and good to go. That's hard to believe that was 25 years ago. Fucking A. Still, still might be, still might be my favorite Star Trek though. I, I really love Voyager. Wow, you would say it's your favorite? We, we, you were on. We, we did a little, little round table about what like everyone's favorite Star Trek was. Mm-hmm. I think you said might have been DS9 or Next Gen. Yes, yeah, I love Next Generation. Yeah, yeah, it, it is so great. Um, but I, I love Voyager because Voyager was Star Trek for. I, this is what I say all the time. Voyager was Star Trek for Star Trek's sake, like. To get Voyager, you had to be a Star Trek fan. That's part of what making... I think that's what's making Picard, what made that first episode so good. You had to know what was going on. You know, you had to know Star Trek to really grasp everything that was being done there. And if you do, you're like, wow, this is awesome. You know? Yeah, Voyager really expanded the Star Trek universe. Yeah, yeah. And just some incredible ideas. Like, the episode where... The, and we did... Oh, yeah, we did a top eight. The episode where, where you, the dinosaurs, the Voth... Where yeah. they, they ended up in the Delta Quadrant. The, the dinosaurs of Earth, that's what happened. They left the Earth, that's why they're gone. Oh, it's such genius ideas that they ran with in that. I loved it so much. Uh, great show. Anyway, but the great music, incredible music from that series. And Volume 2 just came out from La La Land Records. You're going to want to pick that up. Um, actually, and there's also some really neat Jerry Goldsmith promos in there, which Jerry Goldsmith, I have consistently said, is the greatest composer we've ever had. Uh, so there we go. Uh, Ellen, thank you so much for doing this incredibly extended Q&A. Thanks uh, for having me on. Yeah, we, we might release this publicly because, fuck, that was good. <laughs> it was such dynamite. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Uh, d- anyway, all right. So there we go. We got it. Here's your Q&A. We got a new Sovereign Tech coming out uh, not long after this. And we will see all of you on the other side. Woo!